allow me to welcome you to open your Bibles up or turn on your tablets or phones to 1 John chapter 4. We've been asking over these last three months, what is God really like? And, uh, you know, over these, this is the 13th week, we've reflected on the reality that God is eternal, that God is infinite, self-existing, self-sustaining, immutable or unchanging, holy and set apart, transcendent and above, glorious, singular and triune, omnipotent, he's all-powerful, omniscient, he's all-knowing, omnipresent, he is everywhere at all times, imminent, he is near, sovereign, he's in control, he's infinitely wise, perfectly just, and limitless in his goodness. So this morning we look to wrap up the series. <laughs> and, and really, I, I realize there's no good way to wrap up a series on the attributes of God. There's no way that it can be wrapped up in a nice, neat package. Because in all that we've entered into, God is boundless. He's infinite in all directions. And these limitless qualities of God we've talked about work in perfect harmony together, perfect unity together, as opposed to, for us, how often our qualities kind of work out in spurts and fits and depend on our mood, depend on the circumstances. We have none of that with God. He's consistent, and all these things work out in beautiful unison. His goodness can't be separated from his justice. His transcendence can't be separated from his imminence. His trinity can't be separated from his singularity. So lastly, this morning, we'll take a simple look. And I say simple not because it is simple, but because I'm a simple man with simple words at the love of God. And like all of God's other attributes we enter into trying to describe the indescribable. Tozer writes that when he tries to explain the love of God, he feels like he's a child trying to grasp a star. But he continues, still, by reaching toward the star, the child may call attention to it and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. And I thought that was a beautiful image. That as the children of God, we're attempting to grasp at the stars when we behold the love of God. Yet in doing so, others might be inspired to gaze. Others might be inspired to look at where our awe and our wonder have directed us. And I'll freely admit that over these next few minutes, that's all I can attempt to do, grasp at a star. And hopefully that's what I'm trying to do with the entirety of my life. So to start, how, how would you, and, and I know in a church setting, we, we want to immediately get very, very theological about these questions, but very, simply, when you think of the word love, 
What are, how would you describe the word love? What are some synonyms? What, what are some ways that you think of it? Maybe what are some ways that others may think of it, our culture may think of it? It's a question, right? How many songs have been written about what is love? So how would you describe love? Or, or what would be some words that you'd say may be interchangeable with it? Acceptance. Selflessness. That's great. Cherish. <laughs> uh, Nick said sacrifice. Serving. That's great. Commitment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that was confined to the 60s and 70s, but yeah, that's, I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going. Love, right? What else? Loyalty. Yeah, costly. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any examples? Okay. <laughs> Patient. Yeah, so many of you know that uh, in the Greek language that the New Testament was written... There are several words for love, uh, actually more than three. We often highlight kind of the top three. Um, but there were, love, there were words uh, for love that, that denoted romantic love or sexual desire. There were words for love that, that uh, denoted uh, family, kind of a family affection and loyalty. Um, there was words uh, that we know, you know, that, that denoted brotherly love, kind of, and, and that love is a real, a real deep friendship type love. Um, there, there are words uh, just that, that denoted just several different aspects of what we would call love, uh, tender affection, and so on. But the, the New Testament writers adopted a word that they that kind of seemed to, in a sense, get this find this place that was superior to them all. And that's not to say that they're all important, because in fact they are. Um, but they adopted this word called, uh, and we just tend to say, you use this shortened version of it, agape. And, and it's, it's this idea of a love that's unconditional and sacrificial. And that, that became a word that the church adopted to, kind of, to represent God's love. And then a love that we are to live in and live out. In our Western minds, we, we tend to be, our, our English language is, is a bit more limited. We, we tend to use the word love for many of those different concepts. And because of that, sometimes we cheapen it, and sometimes we, we close in the scope of what this love is that the Bible talks about. 
So when the Bible says, you know, in John 3.16, for, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, or when, when you know, 1 Corinthians 13, the, the verse prior says, now I'm going to show you the most excellent way, and it talks about the way of love in 1 Corinthians 13. It's talking about not necessarily just, just affection or even kind of this tenderness or compassion. It's talking about this love that sacrifices all, this love that is without bounds without any condition, this love that's willing to lay its life down, a, a love that, that consistently seeks the well-being of another, faithfully acts for another's best, and that's no matter the cost and no matter the reciprocation. It's a love that's very deep and very counterintuitive to our flesh. 1 John 4, I, I, we'll start just by reading verses 7 through 16. John, the apostle, again, he's older now. He's, 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 it's interesting. It's very interesting to me, you know, he, he, to think about John being farther along in his years. And I've seen this, and I'm not so far along in my years. Um, I know that God has changed me from who I was when I was 20, praise God. Cheryl keeps reminding me, if you're the same guy you were when you are 20, we got problems, you know. Um, but the, the more I talk to folks that have been walking in the Lord for a really long time, it seems the more their hearts just come back to, God loves me. And, and it's striking that here the Apostle John is, is well along in his years. And he writes these letters and it seems like he's just this theme over and over and over again about the love of God. He said, starting in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we, may, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We know that we live in Him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in Him. Let's stop there. John Penzi's words, God is love. We know some people have distorted that as if to say love is God. As if love were a God Himself. And that's, but no, he's saying God is love. Just like God is all the other attributes that, that we have gone over over these last many weeks. This love is not an ambiguous love, not a, 
not a love that's vague, not a love that we're just reaching out and trying to figure out, but it's wrapped up in who Jesus Christ is. It's wrapped up in the knowledge of him and the knowledge of the, given to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the often quoted Swiss theologian Karl Barth, he's, he's been uh, with the Lord for many years, uh, came to the U.S. late in his life for a series of lectures. And he was lecturing these young, uh, I believe they were Bible students, and he just got through with a, a really deep, you know, poignant theological uh, time of teaching with these students. And there was a, a student that asked him, he said, this, this, you know, now he's, this was actually not too long before, a few years before he died. And uh, so he's an old, wrinkled, old, wise theologian. And a student raises his hand. He says, Dr. Barth, what is the, uh, what is the greatest thought that has ever passed through your mind? And it says that this, this uh, wise old theologian paused long. And then after he had thought deeply, he responded, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. God's love is a mighty force. Uh, there's a musician that I particularly like. Uh, his name is Andrew Peterson. And he, he wrote a song called Rise Shine, and it's actually a song of resurrection. And he, he sings within it about the moment that Jesus died. And it seems like he's kind of playing off the Matthew text here, where Matthew tells us that there was actually several righteous people that even came out of their graves upon the death of Jesus. The curtain was torn in two in the temple. And he says in this song, Rise and Shine, he says, I remember how the sunlight turned to thunder. This is Christ's death. I remember how the sunlight turned to thunder. The people ran for shelter from the rain. The curtain tore and the saints awoke, and the whole earth seemed to tremble from the fury of God's anger. Or was it the fury of his love? That to me for several years has been a powerful thought. The rage, the, the ferocity Passion, the force and power of the love of God. J.I. Packer says that God's love is a determination of God's whole being. Imagine that. Of all we've considered that, it's a determination of his whole being in an attitude of benevolence and benefaction, an attitude freely chosen and firmly fixed. His love his other attributes is limitless and intrinsic to his being. He ha always has and always will be loved because he is being who he by nature is. Packer writes, God's love is a revelation of his own inner being. It's God's love that moves him to willing and planning and acting for the greatest welfare of those to whom his love is directed and received. We just read that in, in 1 John, especially verses 9 and 10, that this love is both initiating and sacrificing. Initiating and sacrificing. 
God has always been love, but He initiates His love toward us. And He sacrifices in love for us. He's always been loved, but it's at the cross of Jesus that we first enter into that love. And the cross wasn't an afterthought for God. It wasn't, you know, we, sometimes people might think that for God it was like all went wrong and he said, oh no, what will I do now? I need a remedy. But it wasn't like that for God. God is timeless and omniscient. He knows all, he sees all. So that means he knows what love will cost him. And he has known for eternity past, before he created the world, what love would cost him. He knows what it would pursue, as we sang this morning, what it would take to pursue you. And he's known that before time began. C.S. Lewis writes beautifully in The Four Loves. He says, God who needs nothing, loves into existence holy superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already foreseeing, and then he pauses as he often does in his writing, or should we say seeing, there are no tenses in God, already foreseeing or already seeing the buzzing cloud of flies around the the flayed back against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the messial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body drops, the repeated torture of back and arms as if it is time and time for breath's sake hitched up. God knew the cost of his love before Eden, and he chose it. It's at the cross of Jesus that we see that the love of God does not contradict the justice of God. Some people say, oh, well, what about the justice of God? <laughs> we see it both, them both played out at the cross. The cross confirms the justice of God. God is 100% love and he is 100% just. And his justice demands satisfaction because he is, as we've seen, a holy God. Sin must be taken into account. It must be paid for. So it's in, in view of his great justice that we marvel at his love. For in his love he sent his son... Right? There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up. <laughs> What's the last part there? Coming after me. The, the, right, there's nothing he won't sacrifice. And that's shown in the fact that he sent his only son, the perfect son of God, to satisfy that justice. So it's, justice is not contradicted at the cross, it's satisfied. We see the justice of God at the cross. But in it we see the love of God. James Boyce points out that Augustine once called the cross a pulpit from which Christ preached God's love to the world. So 
So apart from Jesus, the Bible is very clear. You will receive the justice due for your own sin. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because in Jesus, he has received the justice for your sin. Amen? I read a story of a couple who was um, in marriage counseling. And the husband got kind of fired up during the counseling session. He says, you know what, honey, I've given you everything. I've given you a new house. I've given you a new car. I've given you all the new clothes that you could possibly wear. And he goes on and on and listing all these things that he's given her. And then after he's done kind of on his rant of frustration, the wife quietly says, you know what, John, you're right. You've given me everything except yourself. Except yourself. But God gives his very self, right? Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. It's this love, it's this love that's sacrificing and initiating that drives God to extend mercy and grace to sinners through Jesus. It's one of the consistent themes of Christ's ministry. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, of whom I'm the worst. And then he goes on to explain, it's like if God's grace can abound in my life, it can abound in anybody's life. And when the Bible talks about sinners, it's not just talking about kind of helpless victims. And we are that at some level. We all are victims of people and circumstances. But it's talking about people that have freely chosen to rebel against God. People that deserve condemnation. But here's a trustworthy saying. Worthy of full acceptance... Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. R.T. France says that God's love is as gloriously illogical as any romance novel could dream up. (laughs) God has set his love upon us because he loves us. It is sheer, undeserved, unconditioned, free love. In love, God extends to us his mercy. His very nature moves him to be slow to anger, to act in stunning patience. Who can, who can testify to the patience of God? Go ahead. If you Raise your hand. Who can testify to the patience of God? Whew. Slow to anger, stunning patience, tender pity, pure compassion. He's the initiator. God's mercy causes, us, causes him to move toward us while we were yet sinners. That's when Christ died for the ungodly, right? That's what Romans 5 tells us. That though there was a break in that relationship, God continued to move toward us in mercy. Mercy is that 
uh, thing that the prodigal son was asking for in that story in Luke. When he refer, ter, returns to his dad after he's blown off all of his inheritance and he realizes what a, what a screw-up he's been and what a mess he's made of his life and how much he's disrespected his father and his family. And he works up this speech in his mind, I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to say, you know, I, I can't even be taken back as your son. I just need to be taken back as a servant. Even that would be too much. And he goes to his dad and that, that's asking for mercy. Just don't give me what I deserve. Forgive me. Tozer writes, it's not enough to believe that God once showed mercy to Noah or Abraham or David. And again, will show mercy in some happy future day. We must believe that God's mercy is boundless, free, and through Jesus Christ our Lord, available to us now in our present situation. In love, God extends to us His grace. His very nature moves Him to give divine favor and good gifts to those who don't deserve it. Grace is the father in the, parable, in the parable of the prodigal son running out to his boy. And, and kind of you, you get this impression that he hushes him. All right, enough, enough with the, the speech. You're not a servant, you're my son. And he throws a robe on his dirty back and sandals on his dirty feet and, a, and the family ring finger. And he says, kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a feast. My son was lost, but now he's found. He's dead, but now he's alive. Tozer writes, it's by grace that God imputes merit where none previously existed. There's this thing called common grace, theologians call common grace that everyone experiences. That God let you wake up this morning. <laughs> that the sun rises and, and the sun sets and, you know, God keeps his creation process, uh, able to sustain life. And the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous and your heart keeps beating as many times as it will be. And you, you keep breathing this common grace that we all enjoy. But it's only at the cross, as we come to Jesus repenting, as we come to Jesus in faith, seeking mercy, do we receive grace? We can lay claim to what it can be eternally ours, undeserved, saving grace for a people and for an individual. Eternal life, adoption into God's family, a share in the inheritance of his kingdom. We're included in a new community, a new family. His, his church, his ecclesia, the called out, called out people of God. We become part of what scripture calls his bride. <laughs> I'm going to be doing this wedding for my daughter Lauren and Chad, and they're going to make commitments to one another. They're going to enter into a covenant love 
that says, hey, we're going to have a lot of bad circumstances and a lot of good circumstances. Things are going to be tough at times. They have no idea, right? For those of you who have been married for a while, they have no idea. Yeah, for better, for worse, you know. You wait. But they enter, they're going to enter into this covenant love. And God says, you people that have come to me in repentance and faith, you're my bride. Be ever faithful to his commitment of love to you. Isn't that beautiful? So what place should this agape love have in our lives? We all know we don't love as we should. <laughs> we, we fall so short, <clears throat> especially to those that, that, that are pitted against us, especially to those who annoy us, <laughs> especially those who are very different from us. I was driving down up Route 15 the other day, um, and I was in the left lane, shockingly, and uh, there was a, a truck in front of me that wasn't moving as quickly as I'd like, and um, there's a couple cars on the side of me, and someone comes up on my tail. I mean, right on my tail, blinking his lights. Cheryl's like, what's wrong with that man? I was like, I'll tell you what's wrong with him. <laughs> so I'm thinking, dude, your wife better be in labor. You know what I mean? Or I'm going to cause some labor pains. You know the things that go through your head? And it's like my first instinct is not to love. I don't even know who this person is. He's a stranger. Maybe his wife is in labor. And I'm getting mad. My natural response is not love. Yet we're told that for those who trust in Jesus, a life of love is what's modeled to us by God. And it's confirming to us, as we read that text in 1 John, it's confirming to us that we are dwelling in the love of God, that we do know Him. We don't know Him apart from God. I mean, apart from His love. We may try and behold who He is, almost like a kid. I remember as a kid, sometimes looking through the fence, and the neighbors would be having this family barbecue. Man, what a good time! And you could see everything that's happening, but you're not included. But we got to enter in through the gate. Enter in through his love. Enter in through his mercy, through his, through his grace represented in Jesus Christ. We don't know God apart from his love. Have you done this? I know many of you. <laughs> Some people go to church all their life and they don't know God's love through Jesus Christ. You can, let it, you, can, you can not let another minute go by and you can call out to God. You could ignore the last few minutes of my message and walk out and get on your knees and pray right now. You could come up to me, someone that you know here will pray with you. Be my honor. Beyond this, 1 Corinthians 13 rattles our cages a bit. <laughs> Because it tells us that, that our, uh, our tendencies toward thinking that, that God calls us first and foremost to religious activity is, is garbage. All our pious devotion, all our Bible study, all, all, our, all our prayer, all our theological knowledge and good doctrine, and all our church going and singing, and all our giving and our service, and, and the exercise of our talents and our gifts, all amount to absolutely meaningless Zero from love. 
If I speak of tongues of the, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, what wonderful things, right? But it have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. In the end, Jesus says, you know what? The outworking of your life as you follow me still can be summed up in a couple of commands. Love God. And do it with all you got. Everything you've got, inside and out, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love people. And, and, and he uses that illustration, you know, that, that, that Samaritan, the good Samaritan. Love people that you're actually coming in contact with. Well, I think I love those people out there and I write my checks. That's all good. Love people you're actually coming in contact with. Start working from the inside out. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm like, ministry, 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 I need to love that guy, I need to love that guy, we need to start this, we need to start this, but I'm treating my wife like garbage? Something's wrong. Start from the inside out. How are you loving your spouse? How are you loving your kids? Hey, kids, how are, are, how are you responding to your parents? Are you, are you honoring them and respecting them and obeying them? How you loving Uncle Joe and Aunt Sally and then you working? How do I love the people that actually do live right around me? How how am I loving the people that I am working with every day? How how am I loving my classmates? Work from the inside out. Start in Jerusalem, right? Start in Jerusalem, then go out to Samaria, and then go out to you know just to the ends of the earth. But but you got to start somewhere. It's got to start working out in your family, in your workplace, and then, you know, in your neighborhoods, in your community. John goes on, he's like, if you don't have that kind of love consistently in life, you really don't know the love of God. You're a liar, he actually says. The nature of this love is modeled by Christ, initiating, self-sacrificing, love each other as I have loved you. And not just people that treat you good, even people that treat you bad. And that's not natural. It's unnatural in the flesh, but it's natural in the spirit. Because the, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. It, it's whatever flows out of. And if you're going to do that, you need to keep bathing in God's love. You want to love other people, you got to keep walking in God's love. You're the object of his affection. Packer writes, for love awakens love in return. 
Love awakens love in return. I'm going to wrap up here. Verses that you heard a few of already this morning. And then we'll have our closing song. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So for a few minutes, I've been like a child trying to grasp a star. (laughs) And I hope in my childlike attempt, I simply turned your attention toward it and indicated the direction you must look to see it and live in it. Would you pray with me? I'm going to pray through some verses in Ephesians. Let's make this a prayer. For this reason, before I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.